then suddenly I'm on the phone with David Blaine, literally. What? Yes. So would you believe this entire interview has been a subtle form of hypnosis? Bro, I don't know. What kind of question is that? And all sorts of ideas come that I can't talk to you about. <laughs> is it because I'm not a magician? Yeah, pretty much. I want people to see eyes opening up on my hand. I want that, you know, you have these visions. That's how it is. What? You want to whip it out? Sure. The pack of cards, guys. Relax. <laughs> All right. All right, cool. So what's me? up? You saw What's Dan up, Dan? famous magician in the house? What's up, Justin Sight? Hello, dude, brother. how, how are, are you, man? Good to see you. We're going to pop this in a little bit here. Right. So, dude, you and I met like... Around a year ago in uh, in Washington Square Park, I saw you doing magic out there. And from my understanding, you've been doing street magic for uh, for a long time. You were working as a doorman, what, in New York City, and then uh, transferred to doing magic for the most part full time. So what's up, man? Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and uh, we'll get a pop in, dude. All right, man. Uh, I'm Justin Sight. I'm a magician. I happen to be legally blind and I also... Kind of the idea is using magic as a means to convey certain ideas, ideas that inspire me, ideas that have had the potential um, for like inner transformation or seeing things very differently or seeing things in a way, seeing life in a way that's magical. So that's kind of the energy behind my work, if you will. So just insight is a double meaning. It was kind of given to me by a friend, if you will. Right. You don't, you don't go by, you don't go by your name, Adam. I don't go by, I mean, I go by Adam when I'm not being interviewed or (laughs) not performing. Right, dude. The initial part of your life from like ages, I'd say maybe when you started to realize that things were slowly becoming different in terms of sight, was that like when you were five years old, when you first maybe went to school and then you turned 10 and the teachers were concerned about you? How did that look? Yeah, that's exactly it. Do you know? Yeah, dude, I did it. Well, I did a good amount of research on you. Oh, you did some research? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, there is that cool thing where if I look at you where like my blind spot is, then your head slowly kind of starts to fade away and it's as if, it's as if I start to see through your head. It's as if the background starts to fade. But if I move around a little bit, you can see it better? No, no, right now it's weird. Like even even you moving around, like the, the blind spot's kind of big. I'm sure if you moved all the way here. Then I, yeah. You can I, see me better now? Now I see your head. I see you much better. I mean, I don't see all the details. But yeah. Yeah. Now you're just kind of a headless. <laughs> figure. Headless comedian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the headless comedian. Yeah. Dude, we could do a show together. The blind magician, the headless <laughs> comedian. But when did you start with magic? Like, uh, was that at an early stage when you were able to see things better? How did that start? Nah, uh, well, I guess I saw things better. Push this forward a little yeah, bit. I saw things better. I started when I was 10. I think I could still like read books if they were like large print at the time. Um, I mean, it was kind of funny. They used to, I used to get my books like blown up into like large print books. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, I just, I, I always think of how like, at some point I'd love to like make a movie about, you know, my life and growing up and stuff. And there'd just be this scene of this like fat kid walking around with books that are like half the size of his body, like this big in the hallway, all disheveled and stuff. It was so strange. I literally had books that were like this big. Who's the fat kid? I was the fat kid. Yeah. Well, you yeah. look pretty thin now. Uh, yeah. Well, that was a, a whole physical transformation. Do you work out at all? I work out all the time. Yeah. It's a big part of my life. 
Nice. Yeah. Do you find that your hearing or maybe other senses are heightened because of the lack of eyesight? You know, I say that when I perform as part of the presentation of like one of the tricks. Perhaps. I don't really know. Because right. you have nothing <laughs> uh, to compare it to. My girlfriend will tell you I can't hear shit. Okay. You can never hear anything <laughs> she's saying. Yeah, but she's probably being hard on you. Yeah, probably. Anyway, uh, but I don't know. You know, I know that... Um, there's a lot of things one can do to like heighten their senses and like meditation and practices of that nature that are also a big part of my life. I feel like um, do heighten that at least when I'm doing those things. And I feel like perhaps they do have a cumulative effect on your senses in general. When you perform magic, what's the real difference between how you maybe see a trick and how people who have full, like a guy like David Blaine, a guy who can use his sight very well. What's, what do you find the difference would really be? Perhaps I'm fooled a little easier mm -hmm. <laughs> on some level, but I, I like that, to be honest, you know? Um, like when I, when I put out content and stuff, I have to be very, you know, I use like this big magnification software and stuff. I have to be really clear, like I make sure I'm putting something out that isn't like flashing, as we call it which is like something where, where I'm not seeing something that the spectator you might see when I'm putting out content and stuff like that. So it's like sometimes I could record a video, so, you know, record a piece and like, oh, I think this looks great. And they're like, well, actually, you could see that. The spectator maybe didn't see it, but right. the video. So it's, it's one of those things. But anyway, I like it. Uh, generally, that's not even an issue, though. But um, there's still, there is still that, I have to get like really close. There is still that wonder in me and appreciation. Uh, it isn't like some people often think, you know, if a magician, is the magic gone for you? For me, it's not. For me, it's, it's definitely not. And I, bar five, I don't know how every trick is done, but I am at the point where I do generally have some idea or ideas start to come of how this potentially might have been done. Who was your inspiration to start doing magic? Who were you watching when you were younger? So it all started with the special on uh, ABC Family at the time. My mom, like, burst into the room. She's like, you got you to gotta turn this on. Never, did. she's never done that. that was the only magic time she's ever fan? done that. Really, the only time she's ever done that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and she just walked and she said, "You got to turn this on." And um, I mean, yeah, I don't even think she was like a magic fan. She never talked. We never talked about it. But like, okay. And it was actually, it was around Christmas time. It was a marathon they were running of this special that would run every year for like five years. It was called the World's Greatest Magic, and you had like John Ritter and then like Tim Allen. They would host it. And it would be like this big showcase of magicians from all over the world in Vegas on stage and doing close-up and stuff. And I was just mesmerized. And I put in the old VHS. I started recording everything magic-related that I could find on TV. And, um, and so the, all those magicians were very inspiring. Then eventually, not even... I mean, I think David Blaine's first special might have literally been started running that year as well. And he was a huge inspiration for me. I just, you know, just love the raw, in-person... Um, no, st it just felt so real and so you know, it, I loved it. So he, he was a huge inspiration for me. What well. was the first trick you ever learned? I got a magic set. You know, I like it was. So I saw this stuff, and then suddenly it's it's funny. It's it was all a series of stuff that never happened before. My mom barges into my room, says, "Turn this on." Then suddenly we go to the store. That we've grown, I grew up around my entire and life. You just never, never been. been in yeah, there. Yeah. They never wanted to go in there. This <laughs> suddenly we're in there, and it's just it was just a store filled with weird stuff. And I just walk by this magic set, and I'm like, oh my god, can I have this Christmas time? Blah blah. 
And so I got that. And, you know, first trick, I don't even remember, something with colorful blocks maybe, you know. And, and then I just started learning everything I could on the Internet at the time and, um, you know, bought some, learned the old cups and balls, which is a very uh, a classic uh, routine in magic. So, yeah, a few things like that. Where did you start doing magic, though? Were there classes when you were growing up? At school for other kids? At my school. At just my regular school. Yeah, and for you, other kids. Right. Yeah, yeah. And for teachers. You know, it, it was like I just started doing it every morning, like outside when we were waiting to go in for the bell to ring and stuff. I would just start doing tricks that I learned. And um, one of my teachers, Miss um, Saprinsky at the time, now Miss West, um, and I only know that because she's been hired me in my adult years now to oh, okay. come to and her school and, and all this stuff. It's really cool. But she saw what I was doing. I guess she really was like liked it. And I, I was very much like I wasn't like a extrovert kid at the time, I suppose. I was kind of to myself, if you will. And How she old really were you, liked it. By the way, at that time? I was 10 years old, okay. sixth grade. Yes. And so she liked it. And she's, uh, she's like, do you want to do a magic show for the class? And I'm like, yeah. So like she advertised it. And yeah, so I did a magic show for the cluster for the, the three classes, and yeah, that's how it began. And then, uh, then I, I just kind of kept doing. I started going to the Y, and that's when I started losing weight and all this stuff. And there used to be these dances at the Y where suddenly there, there was just like these kids lined outside the Y, and I'm like, oh, I'm start doing magic there. And it was you know one of those things like I want to do this. It's a little being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. That is such that's a, a big part of life, man. Beautiful. That's like, you know, they say, you know, growth is at the edge of your comfort yeah. zone. Life begins at the edge of your comfort Hell zone. That's yeah. a quote I've heard and things like that. It's such so liberating to be able to be okay with, you know, having that discomfort, having kind of a space around it and just kind of piercing through it almost. And like suddenly you start acting and the discomfort dissipates and you're in the zone, you know, and so... Those are my early years of kind of moving through that kind of stuff. When you were moving through that, yeah, what was the challenge like in terms of losing sight each that was each just moment? No challenge, you know. No? I did not ex- my my loss of sight to my conscious recollection was not challenging for me. It was very gradual. It was just like as the years went on, I just had needed larger books and then eventually just larger magnification. I needed like certain magnifiers and stuff. Did you have glasses though? Glasses don't help. No. So it's, it's, so the condition's called Stargard's macular dystrophy. It's uh, basically the cells in the retina begin to die and stuff. You see better peripherally. Central vision is worse. For my, in my case at least, I think in most cases, glasses, contacts, those things are ineffective. Is it a rare disease? You know, uh, I don't think it's that rare. It's more common amongst the elderly. Okay. As far as uh, for young people, perhaps it is relatively rare. I I don't I haven't I met maybe like one other person with it, and they were part of like a program at school for the blind. Um, so yeah, I, I guess perhaps it is kind of rare. When did you start getting really good at magic to the point where you can actually start performing? Yeah, well, you know, it was like. I was performing already. I was right then and there. I was performing and I enjoyed every minute of it. I never felt like I was bad or anything. I was just, I enjoyed every minute of it. And I think I probably could see where I could improve upon things. And it was just a joyful process all the way. And there was a moment four years into it. I think I was 14 and I was at the Y and I saw these kids sitting and I went up and started doing tricks or whatever. 
And suddenly I had this, I would say, almost like a spiritual experience where it was almost like an out-of-body experience. It was like suddenly I, I experienced having this broader perspective where I was noticing the words coming out of my mouth and they were surprising me. It was this in the moment exchange where like the right words, these funny and these things were being said, this energy was flowing through. And I was like, whoa. Do you feel like a magician comedian at this point? You mean? Well, uh, I I know there's relation to this. You know, I mean, I've gone on stage many times and suddenly funny things start coming out of my mouth and it's like a magic comedy show. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I love comedy. I grew up watching stand-up comedy at oh, a yeah? very early age. Yeah, cool. So it's definitely influenced me as well. Like it, what it definitely did for me is, you know, I'm growing up 10 years old. I'm watching, I'm watching the, the half hours on, on Comedy Central all the time. That was like one of my favorite thing. And I, and I know that that kind of played a part in, in helping me see everything can be funny. There's a funny side to everything. Everything can be funny, you know, and and I think what was happening is I was thinking these things all the time and I wasn't speaking them. And suddenly these thoughts started coming out as I was performing, but there was like this energy behind them. And suddenly I'm like, oh, people actually find this funny, not just me. You know, it, uh, kind of up to that point, it was almost like I thought maybe I was just in my own weird little funny world, but how, people actually get, get it. How did you pick up new tricks as time went on? It was mo- it was all just like learning from the internet. Like there was this website called Penguin Magic and Illusionist, like with an E. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are my big two. I know for many people my age that were doing magic back then, those were probably like top two uh, websites. And they just had all these like video downloads and like tricks you could purchase that they would send you like gimmicks for and instructions. So it was all that. Would you do a lot of new tricks on strangers or on your family like yeah. in Washington Square Park? What did that look like? Yeah. Well, you know, I grew up in Connecticut. Um, so there, busking wasn't like a thing, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> Go to the train station. Yeah. I, I Yeah. There was none of that. I, I mean, I would perform for like my family. Then I'd perform at school. Like I would perform if there was some kind of, I don't know, like gathering on the street going on or something. I, I would usually make my way there. Uh, there was this like a big Polish fest thing that happened every Sunday. On, <laughs> Are on, you Polish? On Polish? Okay, yeah. you look a little Polish. Yeah. Sorry? You look a little Polish, I look a little I said. Polish, yeah, Eastern Europe, yeah. So there was this thing every Sunday. It's called Polanka in, in the summer. And like, I would go there sometimes because on the bleachers, all the teenagers would hang out. And, smoke and, pot and, and stuff. smoke and do drugs and i'd come and, I'd <laughs> come and do the drugs yeah yeah there you, you go know? dude they, they bro <laughs> what was one of the tricks that you first learned though that even impressed you you know because i feel like each magician probably has their or maybe if you're a novice magician you'd have the card tricks but what was the first trick that you did that you were like holy shit i guess i can really do this yeah you know card tricks Card tricks are such like, I mean, you have people, experts, you know, whatever, you know, I've been doing card tricks their whole life. It's okay. such a, there's such, it's such a rich body of things you could do with. It's what I, how I think of it. And I know I'm not alone and I've heard this analogy before. It's an instrument. It's like the magician's instrument. There's so many notes to play. There's so many chords to play with a deck of cards. There's so many configurations. You can, like, shuffle it to Yes, but there's so many different things you can do with just that these rectangles, these thin paper rectangles. Do you have a pack on you right now? Of course, yeah. You want to whip it out? Sure. The pack of cards, guys. Relax. <laughs> All right. So this is not a magic set of cards, right? This is a... This is just your standard 52-card deck. Not 52 because I 
have people sign cards and I usually give them out, but close enough. Um, and I know I, I've done some things for you and I, I, I wouldn't want to do, I'd like to do something new. Sure. And the camera is where, would you directly say? It's in directly front of you. in front of me. So like this is the center point. I'd say for the like most that. part. Yeah. Yeah, right there. Straight ahead. Okay. Well, you know, let's see. I don't know if I've done this one for you. I'll, I'll try. I'll see if it'll translate well. Feel free to move this out a little bit if you're comfortable. Cool. All right. Would you like to take one? Doesn't matter which one. Um. Hmm. I'll take a newer looking one. Yeah. Go ahead. Skeep. Skeep. Okay. Should I show them? Yeah. You can show them. Yeah. All right, guys. We got a king right here. Sweet. Now I probably shouldn't have known that, but it's okay. We'll (laughs) do. We'll place it about halfway, I suppose. And there is a king on top, but I'm going to assume this isn't your king. No. No? Okay, because there's only one king. So where does it look like the rest of the deck, if you can see? Where does it look like the rest of the cards are going? In your hoodie pocket. My hoodie pocket? By the way, just a side note, this is such hoodie weather. You know, your ears get a little cold. You have to throw up the hoodie. That's why I'm rocking it, too. I I wear the hoodie hoodie, (laughs) 24-7, You met me wearing this hoodie. Today? It's the only good hoodie I have left. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big shopper. But anyway, this is not the card, right? No, dude. It's not this? Okay. No. Now, some scientists believe that if you moved faster than the speed of light, it might be hard for you and the camera to see that you can go back in time. Yeah, that, I don't think that's the speed of light. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't look quick. like it, right? No. But back far enough until you have the whole deck, of course you can... He fucking knew! <laughs> he knew I was pulling his oh, leg too, jack. dude! It's a jack. I the didn't entire, even know. The entire time I was like, I had no shit, idea, but look, I messed up this if trick. If I place it back in the deck, yeah. and I try to restore the timeline, it really appears like the deck never even existed. Like the whole thing was just a mirage of sorts, which means that we're in a new timeline and we must be all different people now, so... It's kind of interesting, huh? What? Dude, what did you just even do? Well, that was insane. Thank you. I hope the camera picked that up. <laughs> yeah, it did. We zoomed in. Sweet. Um, that was nuts, dude. So that Thanks, wh- what's that called? That well, I, I don't want to say what the trick is called. Okay. There's a trick that's available right. on the market for magicians, and I just kind of put my own presentation on is it. Is there an expensive trick? Oh, there are so many expensive tricks. Really? So oh, a per- how does that work? A, a guy invent, or excuse me, a guy or a girl invents a trick and they teach it to people in a course for like $500 a week. What does that look like? Yeah, it varies. Um, I'm sure there's courses that go weekly and stuff. I mean, I think the most common thing is that someone in the community releases a, uh, releases a trick or a set of tricks and either that trick requires a gimmick, some kind of a prop, and so you get sent that along with some kind of code for an instructional video these days. Back then, you used to get a DVD with everything. Yeah. Now you just get a code with an instructional video. He teaches you the trick. Or he comes up with different ideas and principles that you can apply to your own deck of cards. No props needed. No nothing needed. Or cards are not cards. Because magic seems to get expensive once you start putting a lot of inanimate objects in it and there's this show i mean i'm sure you know of it i forget what it's called but it costs like 350 dollars per ticket and you have to wear a suit to the event or maybe that's like some magic shows yeah uh i forget i what think i don't know well i know the magic castle you got to dress up and stuff yeah maybe that's maybe, that, maybe that's i know there, there probably is something like that where yeah. you have to wear a suit what's the most expensive trick you've ever purchased or maybe trick that you could teach people and you charge a lot of money Oh, okay. Well, 
I don't really, I mean, I've done magic lessons. I like offer them. I do that. I've done them at least a few times. Um, but it's generally, I just teach like introduction to card magic type stuff. Um, is it a talent or can anyone learn? Well, I think the basic tricks. Yeah. Well, I would say that a talent and learning go kind of hand in hand. Touche, you know? Justin. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that if you have the passion and if your hands can do this, you can learn. And perhaps some people have predispositions or something, but I, I don't know. You know, uh, I would say anyone can learn if they have a passion and patience um, and their hands can move. Getting back to the tricks, the most yeah. expensive that maybe you've yeah. purchased or given out. Yeah, you know. Um, and it's crazy. You guys can't talk about anything, really. There's really a loyalty. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I could talk about this. You know, I mean, there's there's a trick out there I haven't purchased. I'm curious about purchasing it, uh, but it costs $3,000. Oh! Um, if it's going to be $3,000. Yes. Unless it's some, like, huge secret that's been performed by a famous guy forever and now and no one's known it and now I, i'm going to reveal this to you guys then maybe three thousand dollars if it's some big thing that's made a reputation uh but i haven't really heard of that happening if it's going to be three thousand dollars there's probably a lot of money that goes into building whatever is involved whatever prop or whatever is involved in that trick so and and honestly if you had a stage magi magician on here, he'd probably say that's nothing. I'm sure they spend thousands of dollars on their insane props and stuff. You know, I would say I've spent thousands of dollars creating tricks. I spent thousands of dollars. <laughs> how do you go about how do you go about creating a trick though? How how do you know that it's going to work in the end? Well, you basically it's you have a vision. You're like this is. I started doing this a few years ago, so it was like, okay, I I love I love this stuff, but there's just certain things that don't exist, and I that don't seem to exist out there, and there's certain ideas I want to just basically make manifest in like a physical way. I want people to see eyes opening up on my hand. I want that you know you have these visions. That's how it is. What? Yeah. So you know, like it's for me a lot of it is like I want to make. What do you mean eyes open up on your hand? Get back to that. Yeah. Well, what I, what I mean is like you have a vision basically. Okay. And for me, a lot of times it's like uh, as of late and especially with the new project I'm working on is like how can I actualize things that you think about when you're thinking about like a shaman doing something or if you're like on a psychedelic trip, how can I try to actual, how can I make someone experience that without any of that? And so you think, okay, how can we do that? How, what's the closest I can get to? How can I, the most recent thing that I, the idea that came to me and, and, and how to put it together, I actually had to hire someone that's very knowledgeable in building these kinds of things to do it. But anyways, like how can I make a portal open up on a card? How can I make a hole grow on a card by itself? And so I'm like, okay, well, there's these things I know that seem to kind of do something like that. How can I build that into a card and, and so that's kind of how the thought process goes. When it's like, how can I open an eye in my hand? I'm like, okay, well, how can I do that? How can I make it look like an eye's open on my hand? And then all sorts of ideas come that I can't talk to you about. <laughs> Is it because I'm not a magician? Yeah, pretty much. Even if you were a magician, though. You still don't talk about it. I, we might talk about it. 
Probably. But who would have to bring it up first? Been steep- probably me if I was if it was my podcast. I'd be like, so this trick. Uh-huh. Well, if if, uh, <laughs> if if you yeah, if I think if you were steeped in magic and you were like a performing magician and like you're doing then it professionally, it then I, I feel comfortable that we we can have this kind of exchange and I feel like I could trust you. You wouldn't be going out there and, and putting it on a podcast. Putting it out, yeah. And all yeah. That kind of what, stuff. What's the What's one of the weirder stories that you've had doing street magic? People reacting in a crazy way. People being like, oh, no, that wasn't actually the trick. And then they show you a, a trick to do <laughs> or the right way to do a trick or something like that. Uh, I don't know if I've had that, something like that. Um, I'm you know, sure you've had, had some wild reactions. Bag. Yeah. All sorts of wild reactions. All sorts of strange characters here and there. I think... I, I would assume that most buskers who have been street performers, it's buskers, if you would have been doing this long enough, you're going to encounter guys that want to talk to you for like an hour. Just, you know, just yeah. stand there. <laughs> do you, how do not you in a podcast setting. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> They're not even <laughs> recording it. Not even recording it, to my knowledge. Uh, <laughs> and so you kind of, you know, eventually, hopefully, you kind of build the skill of being able to get in there and just say, you know, hey, I got to keep going, man. So nice to meet you or whatever, or some way of cutting it. Because with with these guys, generally, it's like you express one aorta or aorta of interest. Mm-hmm. And then they relate they go to you somehow. For, they go on forever. You yeah. Know? You being a com- yeah. Being a comedian, that happens too. That oh, happens dude, too. I got this. I got this joke. You got to hear. Me. Oh, <laughs> what's your favorite joke? Or, I've been thinking about going on stage. What do you think? Should I do that? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what was your life like as a doorman? When did that start? Yeah. So, okay. So my like biggest thing that I really wanted after like graduating high school was independence. I didn't want to live with my mom anymore. Where'd you go to high school, by the way? New Britain High School. Is that in Brooklyn? It's not in Brooklyn. It's in Connecticut. It's the most, I think, populated high school in all of Connecticut. Um, it was a crazy place. There, uh, I New, went New to Britain, hard hit in New Britain. We have a new oh, name. that's funny. Yeah. I went to UConn. Oh, so you familiar went to UConn with Connecticut in stores? Yeah, yeah, bro. Okay, nice, yeah, nice. Okay, so, your life is a doormat. Yeah, exactly. So basically, um, you, you know, to trying to get independence, wanting yeah. to move out. And I found it pretty difficult to get work with my eyesight, like even your entry-level cashier type stuff. Um, So I think that was part of it. Another part of it was like I just hated writing resumes and stuff, but I did it. You know, I did my best. But it it was hard to to get any kind of simple work. Eventually, through um, Services for the Blind in Connecticut, they hooked me up with like this uh, custodian job. And so I did that, but I didn't really feel... It just wasn't my thing. I didn't feel necessarily integrated into society. It was a strange kind of thing. Strange, not so strange. You're in a warehouse. Everyone working there is disabled in some way. How old were you at that time? I I was 20, 21. And so, okay, so I got that. And then eventually uh, my friends and I were at a bar. This was back when I was drinking. Um, and there was these dudes in suits and I went up to them and started doing tricks and one of them gave me a business card and a whole movie can be made about this. Uh, suddenly I became a door to door salesman and that world is insane. What were you selling? Uh, well, it's selling is an interesting word. Even what, what we were doing and many people have encountered, um, people coming to their door, trying to. Uh, talking about energy rates, um, 
basically what, what we did was we represent, represented an energy supplier, a supplier of electricity. And we were saying that uh, we would, if you switch to, to us, your rate would be lower. Solar panels or no? No, it wasn't like a clean energy. It was just like a different energy um, supplier than, like in New York, you have Con Ed. Yeah. And so like, okay, Con Ed would still deliver your energy but you would get it from somewhere else for a cheaper price. And it was that kind of thing. And all the stuff and strategies and, and behind the scenes of that job are just, it's like, it's almost, you're almost not quite on like Wolf of Wall Street stuff, but like there's a, the beginning vibes of weird stuff going on behind the scenes. Sure. And it's so interesting. But also at the same time, it was, I see it all part of my training because suddenly I'm out there in communities of all kinds. You know, we spent a week in the Bronx, spent weeks uh, in communities in Connecticut from the wealthy to the, you know, hoods and all that stuff. And you're just talking to people from all walks of life going right up to their door every day and communicating with them. And I, I would say I enjoyed that. And mm -hmm. it was almost like see it all now looking back. It was a training ground for what was to come. Um, eventually, my friend um landed this uh job in like this hospital in connecticut that was about 45 minutes outside of here outside of new york city and he asked if i wanted to go work with him as a doorman and suddenly i had the opportunity to go work there to help him set up this new account with this uh, valley company that he, he uh, managed their uh sector there and they, they had a company house and everything and they moved me in they moved him in and suddenly here was my independence and I had my doorman job and I was just opening doors, helping people get into the hospital and stuff. And it's within that time that I started making trips into the city um, as an adult. We lived here a little bit as a kid in Brooklyn, but I really didn't like it back then mm -hmm. as a kid. And as an adult, so much had changed and, and I started to see that like the possibility to actually be a magician as a career was very much here. What were you doing when you went into the city though? I started, I wanted, uh, I was looking for meditation groups. Yeah, I was very much into that kind of, and I am, the spirituality, self-work, meditation. So I started going on Meetup and started looking at all these groups. And I started going to groups in Connecticut. There was some in New York. Uh, so I started going and, you know, I did, I went on this thing called, uh, that I resisted heavily and I just kind of, it, it was just obvious I needed to go for some reason. It was called Spiritual Singles. It was funny. Uh, and it was here in, on 14th Street at Namaste Bookstore. And I went there and, you know, sat through the, the meeting and, and whatever. And then toward, at the end, I just like pulled out a deck of cards and started doing tricks for the host. And she was like, oh, my God, you're crazy. You're insane. Wait right here. I'm going to get this person. And then this wonderful, beautiful woman that um, uh, was one of the instructors there was a Tantra teacher. Her name's Hannah. What is Tantra? Is that tantra, meditation type? Tantra is a uh, sexual spirituality. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's pr trying to bring, it's like using sexuality as a way to connect to something deeper um, in a nutshell. So, and I started doing this stuff and she loved it. And she's like, you got to meet this guy. And basically what started happening is I just met met one person that introduced me to another person that introduced me to another person. And suddenly I'm on the phone with David Blaine, literally. What? Yes. And that all happened within two trips to New York city. And so the, the signs were so clear. What? Yeah. The signs were so clear that this is it. This is what I've been looking for. You know, this is, this is what I've been 
waiting for it. This is what I've been calling to myself and it's been calling me. And um, so I don't even remember what the question was. Dude, but, keep going. Yeah, yeah keep yeah. going. So basically, <laughs> so that's how it started. Yeah, so, well, it started as you as a doorman. Yeah, so it all started as a doorman. Yeah. I started going there. I'm like, this is this possibility is alive. And the universe threw me a bone and cut my hours at the doorman job. What happened after that phone call, though? Well, what happened after that phone call was just just more reassurance. Like, you're on the right track, dude. You're talking to David Blaine right now. You just went to some party. What kind of things was someone. he telling you? He was So I was, I was at a party, and I was doing magic, and a woman there was like, oh, my God, I know David. You gotta, he's got to talk to you. You got to talk to him. So she called him. And he's just like, what's your favorite trick? And like all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> sounded like him. What year was that? 2013. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm just like, cool, right? So, so okay, so I go back. My hours start getting cut and I start to... Because you're making money in the city? I'm not making more. any money in the city. It's just that they start to realize that my job is not really necessary. It's basically what they realize. Uh, someone else can open the door. And they're automated doors if you press a button. Uh, so it was interesting. So um, it's like the baby stages of AI taking over your job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it it was an interesting position. I think it was one of those things that it just kind of got there, but it wasn't necessary. Anyway, uh, beautiful. So grateful for that job. And so now, okay, uh, there was some incentive to street perform. I need to make extra money because if I because now I'm not going to be making enough money but part-time to, to live on my own anymore. So I had that incentive and I basically started street performing here, which was like a thing that I was frightening to me, even though I wanted to do it. So I like spent two weekends where I came here with the intention of street performing, like I'm going to do it, you know, and I just couldn't do it. Each time I was just, I was just too afraid what people think of me, all that kind of stuff. Which is always comes back to what you think and of you yourself. came, you, but you came to the city and you just. Went I just back walked home. around and like with with a hat. Bruh. I'm gonna do it, and it was, and I couldn't do it. You know, I maybe this is similar. You tell me, but doing man on the street sometimes, I I feel that way. You know. Yeah, I mean, once once I finally put the hat down, like, and I'm only sharing this so that people who have tried something but they felt that they just couldn't do it. No, that that doesn't mean it's the end. Well, you even said in the beginning, you got to get comfortable doing. Yeah, being uncomfortable, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. Yeah. And and kind of realizing like what this is about. You know, this isn't about what they think of me. It's what I think. of. Why am I putting so much emphasis on what I think other people think of me? It all comes down to what I think about myself at the end of the day. You know, these kinds of things. So working with that a little bit, trying to get that clarity. And but I did kind of actually even get somewhat discouraged at some point and i told my friend my manager my boss at the time who had hired me i'm like yeah you know i think i'm gonna move back and, and all he said he just had this like gut feeling he's like he just kind of looked down he was like i don't know man someone feels wrong about that and part of me was like angry at him a little but wait i wait, took wait, it wait. to heart hold on you you said that you were just gonna move back to yeah connecticut i told him you know i think i'm gonna move back to connecticut yeah and i'm just gonna work and I'll, I'll work for the valley company there and blah 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 and yeah, he just had this feeling. He just like, someone doesn't feel right about that. And I'm like, and there was a part of me that was like, man, screw you. But I couldn't let it go. I couldn't let go what he just said because I knew that part, it, it didn't feel right. 
So I went back again and again, spent the whole weekend, nothing. And then finally it was like sunset. I was at Washington Square Park and I'm like, I'm just going to do it. You know, I'm like, I'm going to do it. Less people, it's it's darker out, you know, whatever. And I just put the hat down. No one came up. It was freezing, but I was so happy. This energy started flowing me like, yes, I'm doing it. Next week and I come back, I set up into the subway and suddenly just a flood of people come meetings boom 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 meeting the right person everything just did you have a did you have a table in the hat or i didn't even have a table for the first few years i just had a soft raggedy hat on the ground and you had that thing where you were making it levitate in the center of your hair what was that a piece of tin foil look like uh it's a coin okay yeah (laughs) it's a coin yeah so that's that's a great trick i want to get back to you mentioned it briefly the drinking you stopped drinking what what was that for well, I was kind of in this, had this kind of love-hate, push-pull relationship with drinking. Which I think a lot of people do. Probably. Um, and so I had that, and it was this weird thing. You know, with drinking and drugs in general, I always had this idea, because I was very much about, like, inner work and, like, uh, exploring my unconscious beliefs and seeing what's limiting me and, and you know releasing that and adopting better perspectives and and that kind of inner work about just fostering cultivating that sense of inner independence and 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 independence from whatever happens out here and just inner peace and and tapping into that place of creativity just all that kind of stuff that that feel like is a life purpose if you will and i kind of thought well i could maybe you know, incorporate drugs and drinking into that somehow. And it's just weird, you know, like I had these experiences in my early days of like, I started with marijuana before I ever took any a sip of alcohol. And I did that for a year and it was horrific. It was some of the darkest times in my life. But it started out not horrific. It started out the first few times as like, wow, I'm having somewhat of a expanded experience here and i think i was i was having somewhat of an expanded experience a heightened sense of awareness a different kind of seeing but it's not something that was reliable (laughs) and so i had that experience the first time i smoked let's say perhaps and the same time later on that night i had the experience of like being afraid for seemingly no reason and I was so addicted to that good experience, like, I want to experience that again. So I just kind of kept smoking, and I had that experience again, and there was some benefit to having that experience, but it just became this, uh, you know, this need or this, like, I, I, rely, I need to rely on this to have that experience. It's going to be part of my inner cultivation of awareness or whatever, and it just didn't work. It ended up basically that, after that handful of good experiences, a year of me just kind of smoking weed, trying to get back to that and experiencing severe panic attacks every time for like hours and upon hours every single day. And I, my apartment that I lived on because I was able to move out on my own at that time, actually, this was right after I graduated high school and I was receiving money for, from the state for like disability and stuff. And, and I had a roommate that was able to... and. And uh, so we were living, and the apartment just became a drug den. 
you know, it's just like suddenly I was attracted to these people were in there. For that, just weed though or all types? No, for all types of stuff. I didn't partake in any of it. Was other your than roommate weed. selling stuff? There were probably people selling. There was just, there was suddenly I was hanging out with people and, and there was stuff going on that I would not have imagined myself doing. You know, mm-hmm. people were blowing things in the, the bathroom and all that kind of stuff. And I was just, you know, trying to feel good, getting smoking weed and it not working. Like, yeah, we're doing it. And then I'm just in the corner in a, in a tight ball of misery. What so, was magic like for you during that particular time? It was not very existent. This was the time where it was, it was somewhat of a hiatus. I, you know, had cards at the house. I would do tricks here and there for some people that would come by. And it was cool, but it just wasn't really a part of my life. At that time, I was so lost. I was... I had experienced, I had, I had, I had already experienced this huge, like what I would call a spiritual awakening years before that in high school. And I was, and my life was improving in so many ways, but I still went in this other direction. And it's this weird experience of feeling like I was, I went further down than I had been before, but at the same time, there was a light of awareness around the darkness that I did not have before. So it's as if I feel like perhaps if I went that deep before I had my initial experience of like awakening or awareness where I started observing what was going on in my mind and my emotions and the relationship between that. If I had experienced this crazy drug episodes and stuff before I had that, who knows where I'd be. But I experienced it and I had the awareness to see that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. When I got out of it, when I stopped, I felt like I couldn't meditate anymore. I, I mean, during that time, I couldn't meditate either while I was smoking and stuff. Like, I just felt congested and cluttered, like, internally. Just feel, I found it very hard to focus. It was miserable. And, um, and it took some time back, you know, into the sober living and stuff uh, to kind of move my way out of that. And... Um, but interestingly enough, you know, alcohol, again, showed me some glimpses of some sort of liberation, some sure. sort of, and it was more, believe it or not, after a night of drinking rather than while I was drinking. While I was drinking, there was the whatever, but then afterwards, it's as if it took a, almost a day for my, for the, the cogs the habitual negative thinking to pick back up again is this weird experience. It's like people always complained about being hungover and I felt amazing. It was like the best thing after a night of heavy drinking. I felt at peace and I could just go into my body and I could just, but then it started up again after a day or two. And again, there was that reliance. I couldn't just, there was that sense. It was a pull to go back, to go back, to experience that again through drinking and so I did, and it was just this a few years of like, I would drink pretty regularly. It was college years and all that stuff. And then I would go a few months without it. And then I would do it again. And my feelings about it would change constantly. And eventually, um, I, I would say what I noticed is that the long periods where I wasn't drinking was where uh, life was better. The periods when I was drinking like a lot became darker and darker 
and it became really dark eventually. Well, did you ever feel like you were looser, though, performing tricks and you'd learn things maybe from the alcohol? It was interesting. I would say... I would say any experience someone has, you can draw benefit from it. And if I look back at the weed, the alcohol and stuff, I can draw benefit from observing myself in these altered states. I could also draw benefit from the the negative things I experienced to the extent that I could share them with people and say, this is also a potential thing that you can experience. And this is how I kind of got out of it and worked my way out of it like in, in an indirect way, draw benefit, if you will. Um, but I would say that I would not say that it was necessary to get into a powerful place as a performer because I had experienced powerful mm-hmm. energy moving through me as a performer before consuming any alcohol or any drugs. How do you see your relationship with magic improving in the future? What do you see for yourself? Well, right now it's just... Um, just bringing more and more of that energy behind the magic that I was talking about of like, what is, what, why am I doing this? And it, and part of it is of course, magic elicits joy and wonder in people and stuff, but there's a whole, uh, there's things I want to convey. And what I'm most passionate about is I, I want people to feel the magic within them. Because I know for a fact everyone has that magic within them. Well, how, do it, mean? how do you mean? And it may feel different for everyone. And it's something that's hard to talk about. But it's the way I experience it is it's a power. It's an awareness. It's a clarity. It's an ability to see clearly. It's something that we all have that we can train ourselves to tune into that allows us to feel the fullness of life, the magic of life, that allows us to see the tree, to see the building to see whatever and experience it in like a holy way in a sacred way it's not something that we may experience all the time but even just having a glimpse of that can change you as it did me is some magic illusion and some magic real well that's an interesting thing and that could be a whole philosophical discussion to, I think to put it to put it in, in simple terms, I yeah. think when most people ask that question, I, I will bluntly say that what I do are illusions. Yes. That doesn't mean that what I do, I, I personally believe that, you know, like you saw the deck disappear and appear earlier, and that was an illusion. It wasn't real. Your experience of seeing the deck appear and disappear was real. <laughs> that was, it well, was a real oh, experience. So maybe that speaks to life, right? It's well, there's so it's an interesting conversation to have. Yeah. So your experience of that was real. So what what would have been the difference if I really made that deck disappear or not? No. You would have seen the same thing. Yeah. And I personally believe that it is possible to do that for real. I'm not. My energies aren't devoted into trying to figure out how to do those things for real. That's just not where my energies are devoted. They're devoted into the illusion part of it. But I would have to say that, uh, and I would probably guess that many performers and people in general have experienced things of this nature, is that sometimes when you're performing and things just come to you or people or whatever that seem just all too synchronistic to be a coincidence that seems like real magic is happening right before your eyes. And the example, the thing that I experience all the time is 
I have a group of people come up and I ask the person, think of a card. And let's say they say four clubs. Okay. And I do a trick really into the four clubs. They leave. Another group of people comes. I ask them, think of a card. They say four clubs. Okay. Interesting coincidence. Do the trick. They leave. Another group of people say, they say four clubs. And that happens all the time. And I'm not talking about the four clubs. I'm what do you saying, mean all the time though? Like what how I mean, many times what in I mean, a row? That's happened countless times. What I mean is that this is one experience that seems to indicate that there's just more to this reality than meets the eye. You could make all sorts of ideas as to what's happening. You know, it's like the thought is floating around and maybe they're picking it up on some subconscious level. But something like that happens all the time. And, you know, you could call that real magic. <laughs> it's unexplainable, but it, or it is explainable, whatever would, explanation you want to use. But Would you sometimes know what the audience member or person that you're doing also the that happens from. too sometimes yes you know what card they're gonna say you just know yeah, what do you mean it you just happens know. it's an experience you just know like there's just this sense of like i just know that's what they're gonna say or there's a sense of this is what they're gonna say and they say it could you say to them all right pick a card and then you'd be like all right i know what i, I know what you're gonna say i know what card you're gonna say well there's a principle in magic we can't talk where, about that. Where I you can you can kind of do something like that, <laughs> but I, I'm 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 sincerely telling you uh, examples now that have nothing to do with the, um, you know, methods of, of uh, sleight of hand or anything. Yeah, I'm am giving you sincere examples of something that happens all the time, and um, and I, I would have to say that I, I bet that any magician that's been doing this for a long time or most are gonna have stories like this where it's like they just know that person's going to say that card and i think we have experiences like that in life you know i mean you think of someone and suddenly they text you you think of you know that stuff like that happens there is more going on here than meets the eye there's more interconnectedness that is my personal belief than we can fathom and it's it's you know it's something to marvel at why do you think i saw you the other day, and I walked by you, and I was like, oh, that's Justin. I did magic with him a year ago, and I looped back. Right. I mean, Why you know, did I loop back, though, and talk to you? I could have just kept walking. You could have kept walking, but you were called, <laughs> you were called to come here, right? You, were, you felt drawn to come here. And things, and you're giving me just another example, because so often, another thing that happens countless times, the thing that, like, is significant in my day of performing street performing happens right when i set up i set up and suddenly the person that gives me an opportunity or something that day comes up right then and there usually or often happens as like the first thing that happens you I weren't set even up. set up yet yeah i wasn't even set up I just came up and like the person that hasn't seen me in forever or the person that has this uh, gig for me or or whatever is there. It's almost as if we were waiting for each other. And we finally got to the meeting point. Something like that happens all the time. Do you notice these things, would you say maybe more so than the average person? Well. What do you think of coincidences? As some may yeah. call that. I don't necessarily believe in coincidences. Um, perhaps I, there are certain things I feel more comfortable chopping down the coincidence or, 
if you want to call it that. But I, I believe more in synchronicities. I believe that there is an inter... I believe that we draw everything we experience to ourselves, whether on a conscious or subconscious level. And that it's always, always 100% for our benefit. And we can realize that if we hold it in a way that is for our benefit. Life happens for you, not to you? For you and through you. Through you, I've never heard. Through you. Yeah. So that's that's how that's how I look at it. And you know, these ideas were shared to me through all the spiritual books and teachers and things, and, and I've taken the things that really resonate with me and that I found benefit in through applying them in my life. And this is definitely one of those. Because to to gain a, a a deeper and deeper sense within yourself, within like the core of your being, that everything is happening through you and for you, just for me and my experience, puts everything in this like, it eliminates victimhood. It eliminates the sense of being a victim. It eliminates so much frustration. It gives you a sense of power. It gives you a sense of being above what's happening. Not in some like controlling arrogant egotistical way but a sense that you are bigger than what happens to you and that you can manage it and that you can move through this in a way that will actually benefit you in the long run and you can look back at your challenges and say i'm grateful for those challenges because they brought me where i am today you're like a philosopher this is what i'm very passionate about yeah dude yeah before we get out of here man can you show us uh another trick with those cards let's see see what we got here dun, 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 dun. get two tricks out of him before we let him leave yes, sir. did did i ever show you the thing with the envelope no it doesn't ring a bell envelope no i think i have it here you definitely know if you have it there or not justin just so you're I not really gonna you're know, not gonna pull the, the wool really over my know. eyes it, with it that might one. be in, in my might other be in the pocket. other hoodie in my other pocket okay here right go. here we have an envelope okay Okay. This crazy card. Sketchy envelope. What's in the Nothing sketchy envelope? Nothing's inside of it. No powder or anything. Oh, all right. Then I don't okay. want it. <laughs> take Here, take on. one out. Um, boom. Okay. Go ahead and show the camera. Show yourself. I don't want to know. Okay. Yes. I'm not going to. I guess I shouldn't say anything. Don't say anything, but show the camera. Yeah. Okay. Give me a second. Yeah. I don't want to know what it is. Let me know. Wait, you don't want to know? that? I, I should let I you know. No, <laughs> don't let me know. I'm not. I'm not. Okay. Okay, sweet. And you have the envelope? Yeah. Can I hold yeah. both in the... What do you well, want actually, to do? Well, actually, if I could just take the envelope from you empty. Okay. Empty? Yeah, yeah. yeah I finished it pretty envelope. quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so here it is, right? Yes. Now, where does it look like the envelope is going to you? It, well, I, I, definitely into everybody watching too and listening. Into it went pocket. right into your hoodie pocket, yeah. Okay. I'll move this again. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can switch that out a little sweet, bit further. Sweet. Can I take that? You want my card now? Yeah. I? I guess, yeah. Okay. Where where does it where does it look like the card is going to you? Probably middle of the deck, I'd Some, say. Somewhere inside the deck? Yeah. Okay. Middle. So would you believe this entire interview has been a subtle form of hypnosis? Bro, I don't know. What kind of question is that? It's freaking me out. Well, don't worry. It's not. I, am I gonna like fall pass out right now? You're not gonna pass out. It hasn't been a subtle form of hypnosis. But I think it's somewhat relevant to to what we were saying about like you know creating our reality and such things. Mainstream science would agree today that what we are seeing is not like 
what's out there in the literal sense, but an interpretation of what's out there, an interpretation. Bro, you just got so deep. I don't know if I, well, I don't know if I stuck with that. Well, ba- think of it this way: a horse experiences reality different than a fly. Sure. You know, we have different sensory apparatuses. Their eyes work differently. Their ears work differently. Their noses work differently. You know, you hear dogs smell things we don't smell. Perhaps other, you know, you hear about people that see things we don't see. We're basically interpreting data and then an image of that is formed within our consciousness. You know, the way hypnosis works is it kind of understands the connection between what we believe and how we experience our reality. So if someone deeply, truly believes that I'm holding a deck of cards, they're going to see a deck of cards, whether I'm holding one or not, if they are firmly embedded in that belief. That's what I'm saying. I see yeah. the deck of cards yeah. in your left hand. Five, right four, three, two, wake up. But you realize that me wake only up a ever lot. a deck of cards was only ever actually an envelope. And inside the pocket. Bro, yeah. wait, what? Yeah. There was nothing in there. There was nothing in What's there. What's in your pocket? Well, in the pocket, of course, is where the deck of cards was the whole time. So, so there's some of that. Dude, what? <laughs> Justin, no, no, good, dude, good. thank you thank you so much thank for coming you, on the pod. Dude, before we get out of here, yeah. shout out your Instagram. And if you have anything uh, exciting coming sure. up in terms of dates, please, yeah, sure. dude, let us know. Thanks, man. Uh, well, I just released a new film, a short film called Blind Faith. Love it. Um, we shot it on Super 8 Film, which has been a, something I fell in love with for the past few years and kind of creating a large feature uh, with Super 8 Film as well. And, um, yeah, I have a ton of content. Uh, Where's the best place to find you? YouTube and Instagram. Yeah, Instagram, Justin Sight Magic. Sight is spelled like S-I-G-H-T, like I sight. So <laughs> Justin Sight Magic. Um, and YouTube is just Justin Sight. And I'm available for events. I also speak at schools about mental health. And I perform at this as part of my talk as well. Um, and just share my journey in high school and the, the things I, I faced and hopefully to benefit the students and some of the crazy things we're going through today. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'm available for that as well as just private events of all types to roam around and do magic. And Justin, stuff. you're truly an inspiration, man. And I really appreciate you coming on the pod. I'm sure everybody listening and watching got a, their dose of inspiration today for real. And uh, dude, until we see each other the next time when I'm screaming people at uh, Washington Square Park, uh, I look forward to it. Justin, again, dude, thanks Thank so much. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in and listening. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.